Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. My name is Andrew Lind. I'm a first year MBA at MIT Sloan. And it is my pleasure today to introduce our panel, Investing with the Bulls, Wall Street Analytics and Sports. Our panelists today are Steve Pagliuca, Managing General Partner and co-owner of the Boston Celtics, and Josh Harris, co-founder of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Our moderator today is Eric Chemi, CNBC reporter, who recovers finance and sports business. Our panel is part of the business track, which is presented by Ticketmaster. The panel will run for about 45 minutes, and then we'll have 10 minutes of question and answer after. You can submit your questions via Twitter using the hashtag sportsinvesting. And with that, I'll hand it off to Eric. Thanks a lot, Mr. Lin. Appreciate it. This is my iPad, so at the end, I'll get the questions that if you guys put it on Twitter, Andrew will post it here, and then I will ask our two guests of honor. So today's panel is about Wall Street analytics coming into sports, and we've got two interesting owners because Mr. Paliuka, if you don't know, in addition to being one of the owners of the Celtics, he is, would you say, co-founder, co in charge, co-chairman, co-chairman of Bain Capital, <laughs> large which and is in charge. Well, yeah, large and in charge. He's uh, helping run one of the great large investment firms here in the state of Massachusetts, here in Boston. And then Mr. Harris, of course, is a co-founder of Apollo. That's a New York-based investment firm. Both you guys, I would say private equity, if we had to pick the one term to, to summarize the type of investments you guys do. Uh, and you're doing sports. So I want to start with the whole idea of, in private equity, everyone talks about, well, you got to have an exit. you got to buy these things in order to get out of them. But with these sports teams, a lot of people, they like to hold on to them for as long as possible. Do you guys have any plans to exit the Celtics or any of the HBSE portfolio? Well, I mean, I'll start. I think, um, you know, we, I love being involved with uh, the business of sports and also with the teams themselves. And it, it transcends <clears throat> really dollars and cents for me in terms of just really enjoying um, having, enjoying the athletes, enjoying the sports. You know, I, I was a college wrestler, <clears throat> and we've all, were high school or college athletes, but being able to be around the best athletes in the world, uh, going to the games, um, I think connecting with the cities. Uh, my, my grandfather was a U.S. postal worker from Philly. Uh, the other grandfather, <clears throat> you know, grew up in Newark. Uh, my dad grew up in Newark. My mom grew up in Philly. Uh, so uh, at this point, and then there's a, just a world of opportunity around the teams, uh, whether it be venture capital or you know other uh, investing that you can do or businesses that you can build. And so, like for me speaking personally, um, you know I enjoy uh, I enjoy it. I have no plans to sell the teams or sell uh, assets, and uh, it's really uh, a labor of love. You're a <clears throat> you're a steward for the cities. What you do really matters. Um, and to the cities, and then, you know, also it's a great platform to help kids and communities. So I think, like, for me, no. no. No plans to sell. I would say, my guess is because you guys have owned it now, pushing 20 years you've owned the Celtics. It's not like this was a seven-year typical type of trade. So my guess is it's probably closer to a no than a yes, because you've already gone past that exit period. Yeah, very similar, very similar to Josh. You know, this was a labor of love. I, I uh, had a similar background. I 
grew up and started in Framingham and uh, was always a big Celtics fan. So this was kind of a dream come true for most of us in the ownership group. Um, we were fans first. And the Celtics hadn't won a long, in a long time when we were able to acquire it. That's back in 2003. It's, it, it, it's just, uh, Philly is the same way. Philly and Boston are old sports towns. The, the sports teams are integrated into the town. Uh, it's part of the culture. And it's just an, it's just an amazing asset. We built, as, as Josh talked about, we built an incredible community business. The Shamrock Foundation has, has helped millions of, uh, donated millions of dollars to children's causes. And uh, for me, I was a gym rat, you know, growing up and, and used to watch all the old players, all, all the way back to Hal Greer and those guys and, and, uh, versus the Celtics. And uh, it's, it's, uh, they'll probably have to carry me out of the garden in a box or maybe, maybe bury, me, bury me in one of those potholes beneath the parquet. How do you guys look at the investment, though? Because when you're doing stuff for Bain or for Apollo, clearly it's about making money, returning capital to shareholders. It, it can't be emotional because there's just too many options out there and then too many other counterparties involved. But with the sports teams, is it really about the ROI? Is it we're trying to win games here, we're winning championships? Or is it I want to win, and as long as I don't lose money, it's okay? Like, how do you, you know, there's got to be a buffer, a little margin for like, I'm okay not making as much money doing this because I'm doing it for fun. I mean, everyone probably has a different answer. For me, we, this is all about winning championships. Like, I, at I, any we, cost? We really Not wanna, at any cost, right? Well, I mean, ultimately, like, we all compete in systems, right, that constrain. Uh, you can't spend your way to success, really. <clears throat> it's a lot more complicated. There are cap systems. But, um, you know, I think, like, I think ultimately uh, these are very, very long-run uh, assets with time horizons that are, you know, multiple decades. And so... If you win for city, if you deliver for city, and if you're in the right city, and I think certainly the cities that we play in are the right cities, and certainly Boston is, you know, a well-known sports town, um, ultimately the value will come. Um, and the, um, the reality of sports, particularly the major leagues, the NBA, the NHL, <clears throat> the NFL, the, you know, the Premier League, um, all of the major baseball, MLB, um, the globalization of media content, the ability to watch sports all over the world, on your phone, whenever you want, there's this huge tailwind on all the sports. So all of us have done well, and so you know, it's, it's the, you know, I'm not that worried about that. Um, it'll work out in the long run, and I think like for us, like we we still have work to do. We haven't, you know, we we, He's we got came one up in, on you right he, now. He, he, they came in and they won a championship, and like until we do that, that that's really we're not going to rest until we do that, and it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> It's very hard. There's 30 other people or 31 other people, depending on the league, that want to do it. So um, for us, we're focused on that. And, you know, if we do that, value will take care of itself. My guess is similar answer. Because then I'll get into some stuff where you yeah. have disagreements on it, right? <laughs> yeah. No, very similar answer. Uh, we came in, uh, we had three priorities. We kind of look, looked at this as we would a private equity deal and saying, what do you need to do to succeed? And the first one is win on the court. I mean, that's the obvious one. Everything stems from winning. So, so we came in and, and actually were one of the first people to invest very heavily in, in stats, the money ball approach. And in fact, this conference uh, was started by Daryl Morey, which is incredible, the growth. Uh, the first conference I attended with Daryl, for Daryl sitting, sitting in the audience, I think it was in an MIT classroom. The total attendance must have been less than 100 people. So you can see the, the power of sports and how, how, it's, how it's expanded since, since then. But winning's the number one objective. The number two objective was to really use the Celtics brand as a community asset. And, uh, and that's become very powerful over time. Our players have gotten involved. 
the, the whole NBA has gotten involved with NBA Cares, and so that creates a, a positive fly, flywheel for fan engagement for our players, and even more bonding, you know, you know, with the, with the whole engagement model. And uh, and thirdly, back in the day, back in 2003, many clubs, including Celtics, weren't doing everything they could for for the fans, you know, trying to get that engagement. So they they restricted access to players. They really didn't have a database of any of any sorts. So we brought into the business side technology, and, and back then it was email, but then it, then it has now has evolved into into Twitter and social media, which again accounts for this explosion of sports throughout the globe. And what I love about the NBA is it's one of the two truly global sports. It's basically soccer and the NBA, and, and the NBA has been gaining share ever since we bought the club. So it's been fantastic. So one thing that's different about your two approaches. With you guys, it's just the Celtics, basically, as your, as your main sports property. But with HBSC, your sports company, it's the Sixers, it's the New Jersey Devils, it's the Prudential Center. I mean, I was reading through the list, and it just goes, it goes on and on. I mean, there's eSports, there's, I mean, you've got a piece of a soccer team in England, Crystal Palace. You've got a, a venture capital arm that invests in sports and tech. So in that sense, it's very different. You guys are much more focused, and you guys have... It's like a whole ecosystem of all these sports investments. So it's almost like I want you guys to debate with each other which was the better model. Do you, do you want to be broader out or do you want to just you know, stay niche like that? Well, I don't think there is a better model. I mean, I think everyone you know, takes it in their own individualized and personal way. But I think for us, like we, love, I love, we love sports. I love sports. I have, a group of, I have an incredible group of partners. Uh, one of them sitting right there, Michael Rubin, was up here. Um, you know, founded Fanatics. Like David Blitzer runs a big part of Blackstone. And, you know, we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy doing stuff together. We love, and we love sports. Uh, and we love, you know, attending the games, being at the games, being stewards of a public asset. And that's really what, you know, sports is. Um, it's interesting, uh, Bain and Apollo have these massive portfolios that Apollo has 350,000 employees that work for its companies. And uh, some of the companies are very, very large. And, you know, no one cares about, we used to own a big chemical company called Lyondell, and no one, used to, no one cares about the price of polypropylene. What they care about, but people care a lot about the starting lineup of the Sixers or the Devils or who Palace is putting on the pitch. So I think, um, you know, for us, we love it, um, and we are participating in that tailwind. You know, from, from a business point, we have a great management team, uh, Scott O'Neill and his team, you know, they, you know, they're, so building it, there's a lot of, learning that cuts across many sports, whether it be analytics or sports science or customer engagement or fan engagement or me how you advance uh, media or social media in developing and far off lands and so and get fan engagement over there. So I think there's a lot of synergy that, that cuts across the platform. And at the end of the day, it, it all comes back to having fun and making a difference for us. Where did you guys, when you each buy, let's say we'll focus on the NBA teams because there's similar similarity there. Did you find that, okay, I'm bringing something from my financial background that they're just not doing here? The way you've mentioned modern management theory in the past, was there just something that, wow, these teams are not run well. If this was a private equity investment, we would totally revamp. I mean, were you shocked at the beginning to see, just sort of find what that was? Well, it was interesting. Uh, the, the, again, I think that the classic model back then, you know, pre-2003, most folks thought they were running a basketball team. And really, as Josh says, it, it's much broader than that. It's, it's, a, it's a fan engagement issue. And it's very similar to Bain Capital or Apollo companies. You're, you want your customers to love you. You want your customers to become fans. 
And I don't think the, the, the leagues and things were treating customers as they should be, trying to maximize exposure to players, maximize engagement, uh, uh, have special deals for fans, have special, you know, Fanatics has done a great job personalizing um, uh, gear. So we came in and said, we've got to change that. We've got to make players more accessible. We've got to be more out in the community. We've got to, uh, uh, the selling's are interesting. But now, but now it's almost like the opposite. It's like you look at some of these guys on Twitter and Instagram. Like, yeah, maybe we need to make them a little less accessible yeah, to everybody. You know, look, it's a free, they, it's they, a free they, country. You know, they do what they want to do, right? <laughs> and they express themselves the, one, the way they want to express them. And, and, and like that's I mean, the, the, the most interesting now. story is when we first bought the team, uh, the other regime had not had Red Arback involved. So, so Wick and I went down and we met Red Arback. And uh, we went down to Washington, D.C. He had the same office he'd had for, for 20 years. He had a rotary phone. He had a thousand letter openers that he'd gotten over selling these things. And we sat down and said, you know, we, we, wanted, we really wanted to go down and get, get permission for him and get him involved in the operation. And one of our key things was to bring more modern uh, in-game things to the arena, such as, as uh, dancers. Uh, we were the only team in the NBA at that point in time that didn't have dancers. 29 teams had you know, cheerleaders, dancers. Uh, we had nothing. And, and so... We got into our pitch, and then Red said, before, before you give your pitch, I, I want to give you two pieces of advice. The first is, get players who are instigators and not retaliators. So we wrote that down. <laughs> and then he said, never get cheerleaders. They're nothing but trouble. <laughs> so we had to shelve the, shelve the plan, and I think we, we finally did it five or six years later. Um, but but, the, but, but the, the, the whole, it, it has become more about engagement, a community, interaction with players, video games, social media. It's, it, that's why this whole thing has exploded. It's been great to see. But to your point, like, there, you know, this is ultimately the same business principles exist across you know, this business or any other business. I mean, obviously, you want to have the best people. You want to have the, if you get the best people off the court, <clears throat> you're going to get the best people on the court. Where do you find the best people off the court? Are they other sports executives, or do you actually want to bring people in from other industries because... This business does overlap with tech and media and event management. There's so many other things that are not really basketball or sports related. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, but, but I do think sports is a nuanced relationship business. And I think like having people, I think we, we've done both. Um, I think that uh, having leadership that uh, has relationships around the leagues, around the media, around you know, the customer base and the sponsorship base, I think that's, if you think about sports, right, you're... It's media, you're, it's event management, you're selling tickets, you're selling sponsorships. And, then, and then, then there are things around the edge, but I think that, like, I think generally you need, a, you need sports leadership uh, that you can build on. And then um, I think there's, the, there's a lot of similarities. We bought the Sixers in a so-called corporate carve-out, right? That's a tried-and-true private equity approach where we, you know, negotiated with Comcast that owned the, uh, the Flyers, the arena, and the media, and we carved it out and ring-fenced what was a division of Comcast. And uh, usually when you do that, magic happens, and it happened here. Like, you put in place uh, a focused team, and um, all of a sudden, you know, we got fan engagement going in the right direction, and uh, obviously uh, built the team over time into a contending team. And, um, but, you know, the, and, and so there are a lot of similarities uh, the difference is, and, and obviously you want to bring modern approaches, like this notion that analytics has no place in sports. I mean, it's hard to even say Does anyone that. think that here? I mean, I, I, I don't. I mean, obviously it's a tool. I mean, you can't go too far with it, but, it, but yes, I think, I, think, I think there are people who still believe 
And we've we've run into the old school, you know, GMs or you know, whether it be hockey, foot, soccer, basketball. There's no place for analytics. A lot like you know, even great great GMs. And you know, after a while, like that that obviously isn't the case. Like the analytics, the use of science across sports is the same as every other business. If you can figure out how to save people's lives that have cancer, you can you can figure out uh, how to make your lineup better or your customer engagement better with sports. But there also are differences, and <clears throat> a lot of it has to do with the media focus and the celebrity nature of you know, who you're dealing with, your players, your coaches, your, you know, the other people uh, are, are in and around the front office. And you know, the fact that the fans really care, like Philly, you know, Philly and Boston are sports cities. They care, and like they're, for us, that's a big advantage. Uh, they hold you accountable. Um, um, they're, on, they're on you constantly to make improvement. Do you ever, do you ever because they hold you, they do hold you accountable. Big the time. media, the fans. Big do you ever time. just think like, honestly, this headache isn't worth it. I would have been better off just sticking with Bain and Apollo. No one would know who I am. No one would bother me. This is hurting my real investments because I'm wasting too much time with whatever trade we did or didn't do at the deadline. I think the first thing, uh, uh, if you take this lesson from private equity, what I love about the private equity business, we're very long-term oriented, so we don't have quarterly earnings. Fans are not long-term oriented, um, right? No, but, but I think what you learn is, is that if you're going to run any successful business, you have to be long-term oriented, which means you can't run the team by what the press says or, or, or by any kind of criticisms. You've got to, kind of got to stay the course. And uh, I agree with Josh, it's all about people. So we try to create a great culture at Bain Capital where, where, where people are going to try to build great businesses, not, not just trying to make money. And sports, we're trying to win a championship, not just trying to make money. That being said, we also want to win. And the fans, when we came in, people were scared we're going to disinvest in the team. It's a misnomer in private equity, as Josh knows, that we come in and, and try to just skinny people down think it gets gutted. Because, people yeah, think because, that. Yeah. Because, because you only win in business and you win in basketball if you invest in growth. You need to have a growth business. So immediately, I think when we bought the team, they were spending a total of $3.5 million on all basketball operations. And so, so we immediately started to lose money, and, and we, we, we went the budget up seven times. Uh, they weren't doing international travel. They didn't have an analytics department. They didn't have modern technology. So we, we increased the investment seven times over the first couple of years to try to win that championship. So uh, you've got to make the investments. You've got to stick with it. You've got to take a long-term approach very similar to that of private equity. But, but look, I love the, I mean, personally, I love the Philly fans. They're tough. They're smart. They, is, it, is it always a good night when I turn on Twitter? No. <laughs> You gotta stay off of Twitter. Uh, it's definitely not. You gotta stay off of Twitter. You gotta stay off of Twitter. But, it's, but it's, very, it's very helpful to win a championship because. <laughs> so he's rubbing the, it in. The, Look at no, this guy. No. Playoffs <laughs> start April 14th, Matt. <laughs> it, it's very helpful to win a championship because a lot of that pressure, you know, I'm saying in a positive way. It's so easy. Way, just win a you're, title. You're on the fine. way. You're, you're, your club is doing fantastic. Uh -huh. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look how condescending and he is, right? We even, we, even gave you, we even gave you Al Horford. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and Mark yeah. uh, um, So, um, yeah, no, look, I think, obviously, look, I find, like, people are a little short-term oriented, and, you know, your job is to look by then and do the right thing, what you think is right. And, you know, there's always, um, there, there's always, you know, and then there's obviously uh, articles of people that uh, want to have immediate uh, success, and, and that doesn't really reconcile with what you have to do to win. So... Um, you know, I always like to think about, like, the, you know, the, the day after, the month after, the year after, and, like, what you, if you keep focused on what... People have not won in sports that have been volatile in their strategies. Um, people have taken a long... There's 
taking a long-term approach. Right, usually you get to the playoffs, you lose the first round, then the next year you get around further, then you get to the finals, then you win. Like that's usually a and every a every every new GM has yeah. a new idea, and then you start from scratch. And so we've been very fortunate. Uh, we have the same ownership group, you know, led led by Wick, and uh, we've had the same general manager basically since since right. 2004. We've only had two coaches. Um, back back on, on 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 great people and great teams. Rich Gotham's been with us the entire time. We hired Rich Gotham from Lycos, which at the time was very controversial. People said, wait a minute, you know, he hasn't run a sports team. But we thought technology was going to be, be, be big in sports, and he was a great manager, so he shifted over, and he's been, uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the best or the best uh, presidents in, 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 the, in the league. Same thing with Danny Ainge, who adopted technology and brought in Mike Zarin and Daryl Morey from, from MIT. Uh, so I agree with Josh. Stability, uh, backing the best people, Filling with the best people and creating a culture, creating a, a collaborative, you know, winning culture, uh, is is the is the key. And you got to you got to take that long term approach. And that's why I love private equity and I, and, I, and I love Boston. I love the sports. And yeah, you're gonna you're gonna take your knocks. Even in private equity, we, t- we take we take some not, knocks here and there from politicians um, with with uh, with um, elections and things coming up. But you got to love what you you do, and you got to try to create value and try to make a difference. And that's what we do at the Celtics, and that's what we do at Bank Capital. If you love what you do, and you're look at, like you got to deliver. At the end of the day, you got to deliver. But no one can fire you guys. That's the interesting thing about this job, right? There's no there's no forced out. You guys could just lose forever, lose on the court, lose a lot of money. It's like, well, I'm still the owner. You can't get rid of me. Where in in the business world, someone will eventually. Pull the plug well, I think by if, I taking think their investments away or kicking you out. From of my shop. standpoint, if, it, if, if if that was happening, I'd probably fire myself. You know, you, you've got to be successful over a period. Not of time. everybody would do that. I, I look at myself as very accountable to the fans in the city, and and so we, I, we hold ourselves very accountable. And uh, you know, we I wake up uh, every morning and I go to bed every night. I wear losses super hard. Um, I love winning. Uh, I don't. You know, strange. I don't love winning as much as I hate losing. Uh, that but asymmetric, yeah. Uh, and and you know, I wake up every day trying to figure out how to make the team better and to engage with the city and make the fan make, experience better. It's, and it's, make it better from an encore point of view or from a business engagement, fan experience, customer point of view. You know, all of it. But I think, like like I said, like we're totally focused on bringing a championship to Philly. Totally focused on it. And 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 at the and in Newark and in London, performing well. So I think like uh, we are totally focused on the on court, on pitch, on ice performance, and see, that's not something you can change, uh, you know, on, on, at a moment's notice. But that's really what we focus on. And, and the truth of the matter is, like I said, you know, the, the business. Yes, I think both both Bain and Apollo and Steve and, and myself are good at building businesses, building teams. Um, and, you know, like bringing in all the tools of modern business, whether it be science, analytics, uh, medical. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to win. This is for you. Thank you. I'll take that water. We're all the one over there. Wow. We're all just slightly off by Still one. your water? We're all slightly off by one. Now we'll be fine. Um, so my question is, when you look at the other owners in the league, they come from different backgrounds. You guys have a similar business background. Other guys are tech guys. Other people inherited their, their teams. They all come from different places. Do you find a synergy with, oh, the guys that are like us, we can have a certain type of conversation about making our teams better, making our leagues better, because we came up the same way, versus a different type of owner who just maybe doesn't get it the way you guys Yeah, I, I think it's more specific to the individual person and the owners. And, and the league actually, to our detriment, does a great job spreading good ideas around. So 
the league learns from each other. It's, 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 it's very collaborative at, the, at Orange Club. We compete like heck on the court, but we are all our partners in this entity called the NBA, which is now a global enterprise that we have to represent not only our cities, but, but, but the whole league globally. Yeah, look, I think the leagues are all evolving uh, to people who have been incredibly successful in other parts of their lives. And um, you, you deal with a, r a really smart group of people. And, you know, certainly there are uh, private equity or alternatives owners. But, like, then you have, you know, people that have had wild success in tech or other businesses. And, like, I think you learn, I think it's a great experience to be part of it, um, you know, to fight hard on the court or on the ice. And then, um, and I don't think there's a block on, you know, good ideas or good thoughts, you know, from one industry or another. You guys are doing a lot with health, player health, the development that yep. in terms of the sports science. It feels like that's still early compared to with the analytics, like the, the whole Daryl thing with the three point, the corner, like the, that felt like now we've had that for a few years, whereas the health side feels like we're gonna talk more about this over the next five or 10 years. What are you guys focused on? You know, I think, that I, that, I think that's a great question. I was gonna let, I was gonna let oh, him go you, first. Okay, good. You, I was gonna let him go first. We're, we're focused on you know, keeping our players you know, fit and Just feeling fit, good and uh, elongating their careers uh, and, you know, making them perform as good as they can perform and making sure that they, um, so, it's, so it's all the basic stuff. And yeah, there are the, the, the medical teams across the sports are very large and, you know, it's everything from um, physical therapists to doctors to um, tracking, um, how much and when they play and when they practice and when, uh, when you know how much they're sleeping and what they're eating and it, it's sort of a, a it's a broad lifestyle you know when you travel, um, and when you eat and so there's an incredible amount of detail. Uh, all of it goes into you know kind of things that um, take you know, make their lives better and uh, elongate their careers and um, make them perform at peak levels when they need to. Yeah, there's been a big, uh, five, about five, six years ago, um, the kind of the home of sports, sports medicine sciences in Australia, and, and yeah. they train incredible people to look at all the data and do everything in a database way. You know, tw 20 years ago, people got certain kinds of operations or they didn't get operations or you, you had a meniscus shave. There's now all science behind this, as Josh said. And so we brought in a sports scientist, reorganized the, the whole department. Yeah. We built a brand new facility uh, that, that has cold baths, hot baths, uh, x-ray equipment, all the things you need to optimize your player's strength. We have sleep coaches, uh, nutrition coaches, a nutrition center. So I would say from 2003 to now, that has, that has uh, you know, really evolved into, into you have to be your own you know, health and wellness expert because long season, if you can cut injuries out, you win games. And, and can you, you measure an ROI? Is there a number you guys can put to, look, we invested X million dollars in health and player improvement you know, on, on the health side, and then now we won more games where we made more money. Is there an actual number you can point to? You know, we try to track it. It's a long-term project, and, and, and I think the big dividend is, is, is less games being injured and a longer career for the players. And so when we have a superstar, it's great to keep him around. Look at LeBron, you know, he's kept himself in incredible shape, but he's taken advantage of everything the NBA has to offer in terms of the health. You think program. about 100 million a year payroll, um, kind of whatever you spend in this area pay, has a massive ROI. Um, if you think about the value proposition of 
a superstar playing another year or playing a few more games or staying. You know, th these are you know, just people. I mean, so if you're providing the best medical care and the best uh, wellness, precision wellness to them, um, you know, they're going to want to be, if you have the best facilities, they're going to want to be at your team. Um, our players have incredible choice. They can play wherever they want. <clears throat> They've got to feel like you're taking care of them. So the ROI on this is, is very, very high. It's hard to like put a number on a specific hire, but it's a very, it's a developing area and it's going to get a lot more investment over time. For both you guys, in the positions you are in the business world, a lot of what you want to happen is going to happen in terms of transactions, the way companies are run, the way employees will do things. But the NBA in particular is a player's league. They're the stars, the owners are not the stars. Players can kind of do what they want to do. Is that a difficult transition for you guys coming from what you're used to? It's like, we can't control anything that they're going to do. Look, whenever you have someone who's the best in the world at what they do, like, it's your job to recruit uh, and to develop and make them feel great about playing in your city versus other You cities. need them more than they need you. And, and I, we need them more than they need us. And that's no different, truthfully. Um, it's a little different in the sense of the profile of our players, but you know, at, at some of the largest private equity or alternatives companies, we're recruiting the elite athletes in our particular industry. And the truth of the matter is they have a lot of choice too. It's not as public. Um, they're not media stars, but like this is something that, um, by, if you get the best people, whether it's your, your management team, whether it's your ownership group, and whether it's your players or your uh, partners or employees, like you're gonna win. And, and I think that this is no different than anything else I've done in my life in terms of attracting and building teams and, and winning. And so I don't see it as very different other than, you know, obviously um, when you're dealing with someone, when you're dealing with people that uh, have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, profile or big media stars, you have to be even, it, there's, a, there's a special skill to it and that's been a learning experience for me. Uh, but I mean, it's no different. No different. Just, it's like, oh, I run Apollo, and I own the Sixers, and it's basically the same thing. That it's, can't, it's obviously can't different be true, from, yeah. From, it's like, you know, you're dealing with... I, know, I think, I, I agree with Josh, there's more similarities. You think it's more similar than people think? We are, we, at Bain Capital, we have some of the best investors in the world, and, and, uh, uh, and so does Apollo. And Blackstone wants them, and Fidelity wants them, well, both, BlackRock both wants them. Well, both the employees them. that you guys want and then the companies that you want to add to your portfolio because someone else could just spend more and get that company. Well, they, the companies is a different story, but the employees, they want our, our, our employees and partners. And it's the same philosophy we have at the Celtics. You've got to have a culture that you're all unified. It's got to be fair. It's, it, you've got to care about the people, truly care about the people. And, uh, and that's how you build a great private equity firm. It's similar to a basketball team. The, the players know if you're going the extra yard for them and you're trying to get them the best care, and you're trying to help them uh, maybe understand uh, uh, financial ramifications of, of what they do, understand their health issues, understand extending their careers. They feel that, and, and, and we inherited a lot of it. The Boston Celtics, for, for decades, for years, it's a, it's a family-run type feeling, and we've, we've kept that feeling and enhanced that feeling in there, and that's given us great, great, Kevin Garnett came in and he said, I'm really in the NBA now because I'm with the Boston Celtics. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die with green on me, and we're gonna retire his number uh, this, this coming year. So you've really got to create that culture. It takes a long, long time. We had a lot of that in place, and we just tried to enhance that. They had that, a lot of that in place in Philly, and they're trying to enhance it as well. But that's how you, you, you build a winning team, winning franchise, whether it be private equity or uh, sports. Making Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Al Horford, 
um, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, and, and our players feel great about playing in Philly, being in Philly, being part of our club, being part of our team. That's my most important job. And, and so, it, and the, the fundamentals of recruiting world-class players, world-class CEOs, world-class partners, um, they're very similar. And the, the other thing I'd say is, is, is uh, Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge, uh, you know, many, many people poo-poo the, the word, you know, chemistry. But clear, can't measure it. There's no number yeah, for it. But clearly, it, it is about a team. It's about a team. It's the same in private equity. It's the same at the Celtics. And so you can have equally talented players, but if they're not playing as a team, they don't buy into the culture, they don't buy into winning, you're going to have a problem. And it's I'm sure that's true when you guys buy a company. There's a culture of that company, and sometimes Absolutely. you guys need to change the culture if there's a problem, or keep the culture but just make the operations better. And successful sports owners have come in and, 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 and met, who bought losing programs, you turn them into winning programs because of that culture, because you're bringing in that consistency, you're bringing in that fairness, you're bringing in the care for the individuals and, and the players and doing everything you can to win, and they see that. For, the, for example, like the, the HBSC culture and the Sixers culture, um, it's incredibly diverse. Um, it's, it's communicative. Uh, lots of backgrounds, lots of people around the table. It's flat. Uh, there's very much a focus on best idea win, meritocracy. And uh, we have people from all walks of life, all races, everything. Uh, and, and that's really... Um, to me, a model for business, uh, and you know, we're trying to get there. I'm trying to get there everywhere that I work or I'm involved with. Um, and in in the case of HBC, we're further along, truthfully, than many of the companies that I see. So, um, and and so the, the the principles again are the same. I'm going to go early to some of these audience questions because there's a lot of them, and they're pretty good. Um, you mentioned the sports teams are long-term assets that last multiple decades. How do esports fit into that, and what is the time horizon for a pad? I'll start with you because I know you guys have an esports. Yeah, so we have a, a great uh, esports uh, team company. Uh, we're in two of the four major esports. Uh, we're in a bunch of others, um, and esports is has tremendous. You know, you, you ultimately want to watch in many cases the sports that you play. And there's more than a billion people that are gaming. Uh, and so there's massive fan engagement in esports. And so over time, I think it's real. Um, I think it's going to grow. And, and so, you know, being there early um, for us has been a really positive uh, thing. And we're investing uh, in our teams and uh, the, the games we play in. Uh, whether it be CSGO or League of Legends, which are our two major uh, games, and, and, and trying to win with the right players and the right coaching and the right GMs and everything that you would expect in a sports league. Clearly, in eSports, you have publishers, um, <clears throat> and it's a little complicated how you actually, the money part of it, you were asking me, like, how do you make money in this stuff? Uh, the money part of it is still pretty complicated. And so we're figuring that out, but it's uh, long run, I think it's going to be a big part of the sports ecosystem. I think you're going to say, we, we have an esports team, yeah. the Celtics, and uh, my family office was, a, was an early investor in, in uh, Fortnite, the Epic game. Should have done pretty well, huh? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, what a great company. Uh, heard of that one. It, 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 <laughs> <laughs> if you've heard of it, it's one thing if your kids have heard of it, exactly. if you've heard of it. Uh, and what you're seeing is, uh, is, again, this increases fan engagement. Because if you're playing basketball yeah. on esports, 
you're watching basketball, you're, you're, they're emulating each other, and the technology is just, you think about it when, unfortunately, we date ourselves. When we grew up, you had Pong with a little thing around. The tech, I'm, sometimes I'm watching eSports basketball, and I think it's a real game on. It, every year, it's getting better and better. Now you're going to have virtual reality. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of crossover. And uh, you're starting in some countries, starting to surpass people do more eSports than they are even watching live games. Right, and I think, I think he's bringing up, so Y2K, um, when you, or you know, now you're seeing uh, gaming, betting, uh, as it comes in, like, you know, sort of analytics packages that you can buy to watch the game, two-way interaction, two-way interface. I mean, the NBA is spending a lot of time, think, and, and the other leagues are spending a lot of time thinking about this. So that's all going to increase fan engagement. And that's beyond eSports, which are, you know, games that obviously right now um, are primarily des you know, are primarily games that are played on, uh, you know, with video. Um, we, you know, I'm talking about like the, you know, the, the NBA simulated games or the other leagues. When Epic had a Fortnite tournament that they, they played at the you know, US Open tennis venue. They filled up the venue for three days. So it, it is definitely, you know, you know, definitely growing. When you talk about your fans, your customers, those can be two different groups of people. They're not necessarily the same person because you could have a, a fan who never spends any money on your teams. So how do you guys use the analytics, the, the, the way you understand customers from the business world, how do you deal with that on the sports side where it's like, yeah, we've got fans, but they may never spend any money, but they still matter to us and we have to engage with them. We, we don't really think about them. I mean, what we're trying to do is um, make the fan experience better and make it easier. And that could be, and by the way, a lot of times that's just good common sense business. So understanding uh, or being able to engage uh, over uh, in internet or over Wi-Fi and in terms of understanding what people are buying and what lines are long, what lines are short, like allowing people to order food online, allowing people to understand where the closest uh, place for them to buy something is. Um, all that stuff is just good business, but it's also fan engagement. I don't, we don't wake up thinking, like, how do we kind of cater to those fans that spend more money? What we're trying to do is make it easier for everyone to have a great experience uh, and then make it easier and then provide things around that experience that they want uh, that they can spend money on. And if you do that, you know, it, it works out. And there's still a long way to go in that. You know, both in the bank capital portfolio and at the Celtics, I think in the last 10 years, there's been an explosion in data analytics, not only for the, for the basketball side, but for the customer side. Right. And right. You ticketing, use, we use marketing, the, all of you that. You use yeah. the data analytics to really give the customer what the customer wants. So, so some fans, uh, you know. Because they want different things. Yeah. Depending on the So company. it's all about right. customization. Um, it, you, 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 you're really trying to use technology to have a one-on-one -on -one, you know, relationship with any fan and give that fan what they want. And the technology allows you to you know, segment your fans so you're, you're giving them greater and greater value because they're seeing what they want to see. You know, some, some fans love to see dunks. Some fans love to see three-point shots. Some fans uh, love certain amenities in the stadium. You can learn all this by, by, by doing these data analytics. And our group has done a, done a fabulous job kind of customizing the program so, so every fan gets what they want exactly out of it. And that's going to continue to go up and up and up as we go There are forward. literally dozens or hundreds of you know, internet-based uh, fan experience, whether it's like how they engage with the game itself over social media or directly over their phone, whether it be a ticketing platform. We just invested in a ticketing, a group ticketing platform. HBSC, HBSC. invested in a ticketing platform. Yeah, we have, we have a, a venture uh, capital arm run by uh, Brad Farkas and Chip Austin 
David Abrams, uh, that is investing in, we made 10 investments, and there's just you know, hundreds of things that are being developed to allow for people to enjoy sports, whether it be sports content or playing sports, or social media around sports, or the fan experience or fan engagement. And you know, we're, we're, because of the teams, we're able to you know, use the sort of information and the knowledge that we have as to how we run the teams to make great investments. And so um, that's really been fun and exciting. And the, uh, the experience is, is really improving. A question for you, because this came up from the audience. You mentioned modern management theory. How do you apply that to running a sports team? What's been an example of a rewarding operational change you've made to extract value? I would say uh, the, 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 biggest, the biggest thing that we did was to come in and say, this is all about the fan and the customer and, and connectivity. So previous 2003, Again, there was a mentality that there was a separation on the court between the players and, and, and the fans, and they each had their own spaces. That now has become integrated, and the more integration you can have. So our, our folks uh, under Rich Gotham and, 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 and uh, Sully and the team have really designed a whole potpourri of fan engagement vehicles so that we can bring people in. We do community activities with people. We bring them to games. We uh, will have cer certain nights for certain groups to come in. and and just again, taking that experience and customizing it for those fans and giving them what they want, that's the key. We've got a lot of questions about the Crystal Palace investment. So one which is what's your thought process and strategy? There could have been other attractive <clears throat> clubs in the EPL. How is it different from the NBA, which has franchising rather than promotion and relegation? And um, just so a lot of a lot of questions about what the Crystal Palace is doing in yeah so um, it's pretty pretty simple because um, uh, you didn't grow up in London I, I mean I get the Philly I, thing in the New York I did, I, did I played soccer um, and you know all through high school I never made it uh, you never made it to the game. EPL yeah never made it to the EPL I never made it to college let alone EPL but um, look I think it's the most popular game the EPL is the most popular league in the world uh, right now, and soccer is the most watched game in the world, and uh, it's, there's massive fan interest, and Crystal Palace is uh, in London, and being in London when you play in England is a big advantage, and in fact, we're the, uh, only, we're, we're the only big club in South London, and there are five clubs in North London, and they have, each have about three million people, so we have a massive catchment area, and about 15% of the entire Premier League um, comes out of our neighborhood, uh, which is near Croydon. Uh, and, and so uh, it's a fantastic uh, club. Um, our strategy with the club is to invest in um, you know, our training facility. We're building a new training facility uh, to improve our stadium. Uh, you know, which is a bit, it's... So it's, it's the same sort of approach that you would do here in the States. We want to invest in the facilities, we want to invest in player health and development, and you're bringing that same approach over there. Yeah, and then it's, and then it's investing in, you know, obviously the players uh, themselves. And so in terms of structure, right, the, the major difference between the U.S. sports leagues and the Premier League, uh, which is incredible for fans, but, you know, not too good for owners... Nobody uh, feels sorry for you guys. Is, is, is that uh, they have this thing called relegation. So 
<clears throat> there are um, multiple leagues below the Premier League, um, and you know they um, the media payment. Probably two thirds of our revenue relates to the media payment that we get as being part of the Premier League. But if you finish 18th or 19th or 20th out of 20, you get what's called relegated, it means you get pushed down to the lower league. And then the top three clubs from that league go up. And there are uh, a number of leagues below that where the same thing is happening. So, it's, so every game, every match uh, is interesting to the fans because you can, whether you're you know, in 17th and you're fighting to avoid relegation or you're in um, you know, 7th and you're trying to get into the Euro Europa League, which is to play against people like Barcelona and you only get there if you're in you know, above 5th. You know, there, there's this incredible story around every game, and so that's amazing for the fans, but the financial consequences of that can be tough <coughs> as an owner. Structurally, it's just a, uh, it's a lot uh, harder. A lot more heart attacks. Your, media, yeah, your media payment goes, uh, you know, you get about, you know, it goes from, you know, over 100 million pounds to... So why, but why buy a team? It seems like another NBA, like another American team, like an NHL team, you can't get regula regulated, uh, relegated, uh, MLB, and I feel like you could just keep losing and you'll keep making your money. This sounds, this sounds like the real world finally, right? It's the real world, it's a jungle. Um, <laughs> He's just laughing it up here. Like, ah, we got a 20 win <laughs> no, season one year, we, we're fine, again, we'll be back. Again, like, I think it goes back to the same fundamentals. They'll figure I, it out, they'll we, figure we love it out. Sports. We're bringing, uh, we're, we're bringing in a lot of analytics and a lot of the things we've talked about here to improve our team, to improve our roster. We have a great partner over there, Steve Parrish, that lives, breathes, eats the team, uh, is involved in every decision and, you know, allows, you know, you, the hands-on approach with sports teams is very important. It's hard to do that uh, at, in London uh, if, you're, if you live, you know, here. Uh, and, and we love the, uh, the club and the history of the club and what it stands for and the fan base, and I think uh, we're going to do just fine. There's a question here about how do you see the future of sports franchise values? My question really is, do you guys even pay attention to that stuff? Like, oh, Forbes ranked these teams at X billion dollars. Do you guys really care about that, or do you just really care about the, the encore performance, the operational our, re you know, our revenues are P&L each year because we're not selling, so it doesn't really matter what the magazine thinks we're valued at. I think that it's, just, it's, just a, it's just a reflection of the growth of the league. So if we continue to, to, to do well as a league, we continue to go global, we continue to invest in the players, uh, then the values will continue to go up. And I, I think we're only in the early stages of it because we are not totally globalized yet. Uh, the NBA has just started a league in Africa. I think that's going to be very exciting. Uh, they're looking at doing things in India. Uh, I think someday you'll see teams yeah, Latin America teams be in Europe, too, Latin yeah. America. So there's, there's a whole you know, vast universe out there of people that love basketball. And again, being one of the two global sports, it's a fantastic thing to be involved in. Look, it's a scorecard. It, sh it, sh it says how you're doing. You certainly are ranked against other. But do you guys just laugh about it when you see the rankings? Because you know, like, well, I know it would go for a different price than what the magazine or anyone estimates it. At. You know, it's, it's one, you know, thing that, it's one data point that's out there. And like, look, our, our employee, you know, the people that work at HPC, our partners, have the business staff, um, um, have, you know, equity in the company. And they look at it, and it matters to them, and it matters to us that, you know, it's improving. Uh, but it's, you know, obviously, uh, so, so I, I don't think it doesn't matter, but it's just one data point. It's just a benchmark, and, you know, it, 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 it will be what it will be when, when if people decide to get liquidity. Oh, so it does matter. That's good to know that you guys 
because there's different opinions on it. Uh, and you're, you're right, there are other smaller minority owners that might need to get liquidity. It yeah. might matter more to we them. We have partners and we have, you know, owner, we have owner, employer owners, employee owners that like care. They may not have the same time frame that we do. Obviously, these valuations have gone up because of the sports media rights, the TV rights yep. that, have, that have come in big in the last few years. But there's so much fragmentation now. There's so much digital, digital disruption. There's so many other places that people can get their content. How do you guys see that playing out in the next couple well, of years? You're talk, I think there's the distribution of sports content, and that is uh, an environment that's under massive change, whether it be you know, the cable system or online versus uh, over, the, you know, over, over the top. Or, you know, there's a lot of ways, and basically people more and more want to watch what they want to watch when they want to watch it, right? On their phone, on their device, and that's just happening. And you know, obviously that has a ton of ramifications across many different things. But at the end of the day, there's still one Boston Celtics. There's still one Philadelphia 76ers. They've got to get, there's still one NBA. There's still one NHL. There's still one Premier League. And so, like, for, as, an, as a content generator, um, all that change of how content is distributed uh, really isn't going to hurt the content generators. What, what matters to us is that more people are watching it more people are from anywhere. Interested. More people just across the globe. Anywhere. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so like the, like for us, long run, we just have to put the best product we can uh, on the ice, on the court, on the pitch, uh, and keep making the it easier for fans everywhere to enjoy it. And David Stern, when we uh, we met him, when we first bought the club. Uh, you know, he he really uh, had the vision that the content, you know, what was what it was about. So he used to always say content is king. I think he was right then, I think he's right now. And there's gonna be ups and downs in the distribution system, but if you have the, the product that, that people wanna see, it'll now get to even more people because you can, you know, you can buy it on streaming, you, you can buy it through a cable company. You're gonna see a lot of disruption in those distribution mechanisms, but the base content is even more valuable because the problem today is advertisers trying to aggregate lots of eyeballs and everyone wants to see the NBA Finals, everyone wants to see the playoffs, everyone wants to see the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. So the more people you can get it to, the better. And this, this technology is allowed you know, for massive distribution. So it's just a question of how we get through that cycle and what the roles of those players are, streaming companies, cable companies, uh, uh, aggregators. Are there things you guys have learned from your business investments, from your portfolio companies at Bain and Apollo that give you some insight for how this next few years is going to play out in terms of sports media disruption? Is there anything that you've, that lessons you can take from, okay, in this industry, here's what happened. I think that gives us a playbook over here. You just want to be adaptable. What we learned from our company is that the best companies are adaptable and flexible, and they can kind of move and change on a dime. So you need a management team. Um, you need, your whole management team has to kind of look forward to where we're going and say, how do we position ourselves as this media landscape changes? And there's going to be a lot of disruption in it for sure. And if we look out 10 years, you may be seeing NFL games, NBA games on, on uh, uh, Amazon or, or, or now the, the kind of the dot-com right. you know, folks. And uh, the whole landscape may shift. And the networks will battle for that. And, and, and again, a key piece of the properties that any content aggregator to get eyeballs wants is sports because it's the one thing you want to see live. It's the one thing you have this huge emotional connection to and it's kind of across all, now across cultures and, and, and across countries. Yeah, we've had, you know, dozens, we own dozens of telev local television stations. We've looked at dozens of investments in this area and 
to underscore Steve's point, the value of sports content to this whole ecosystem is massive, and it really under and again, like it underscores and growing because it combats fragmentation. You know, and it underscores for me like that we just need to continue to make the content that we're putting out there better in terms of more accessible and more interesting uh, to a lot of different pe people. There's a very you have to have a very broad offering of content to people uh, in, in, a, in a very accessible way. Is there anything, and now we'll, there are only three and a half minutes to go, so these will be the quicker lightning round questions. Lightning round. The, anything sports-wise, tech, tech and analytics, is there something that you guys have tried to do, you can't implement yet? Is there something on your wish list that you want to get done through any of your teams? I mean, I, I think that I, still, I think that we're in the early stages of the use of analytics and the use of <clears throat> sports science in terms of how they impact these teams. And we're <clears throat> every day drinking from a fire hose in terms of investing in those areas and trying to attract you know, the best data scientists, uh, the best uh, medical people to our system to be able to continue to compete against you know, 29 or 30, depending on the sport, or 31 other owners that are all very smart, that are all very well financed. Uh, and so, you know, to me, that those are the areas that um, science is definitely going to impact sports. And so you ignore it at your own peril and you have to embrace it and embrace innovation, embrace, you know, kind of, and, and, and attract, you know, those world-class athletes who can work anywhere they want. We, you know, at Bain Capital uh, last spring, we had a global uh, partner Technology Summit, which the theme of is that every business we buy, whether it be a widget manufacturer or uh, a clothing manufacturer or brand, they're all technology businesses now. And I think that same thing applies to the Boston Celtics, to, to the NBA and the sports leagues. We are now, you know, going from, a, from an in-arena, primarily fans of the gate, to a, tech, a ubiquitous technology business that you have to have more shoulder programming, more accessibility in mobile, more accessibility in streaming, and, and probably new technologies that will come in 3D, uh, they've been talking about for years, um, and, and, and people want to watch, watch the games on the go. So better mobile products, you know, you know how, how do you position the games so they're great on phones? Shorter attention spans, you know, the, the great thing about the NBA is you're in and out of a game in somewhere around two hours and ten minutes, and, and that has been very attractive for today's generation that, you know, it's not going to take three, four hours to, to watch a game. They love the fast action every second kind of the, the ADD generation. And, and, and so I think recognizing that you're not a sports business, you're a technology business is key. And then, and then I think just going back to the other things, like you know, how do you continue to engage in a more deep way with the community? Um, how do you attract like, the most diverse, diverse pool of talent you know, to these organizations? At the end of the day, um, we're in a new era here, and the, the, those fundamentals um, are cut across every business that we're involved with, but are particularly important in sports. My guess is five years from now, if we have the same panel again with the three of us, the questions will be very different, the way yeah. tech and, and science and analytics change. There's only 25 seconds to one, go. One other thing I really like about the NBA is, is, uh, is that we have great <laughs> partnership with the players, and the players are actually very sophisticated you know, people. Uh, on social media and all the rest, and, and yes. we're all in this together. So the 50-50 partnership with the players, I think, has been an incredible... Is it 50-50 or is it like 51-49, 52-48? basically 50-50 partnership, and, 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 and the players love it, we love it, because when, <laughs> when the league benefits, you know, everybody benefits.
That's three zeros. We're out of time. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. you guys in the audience for staying with us. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.